Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm, of course, always, always, always very excited and happy when I have a guest return to the show. Um, so that tells me that their first or second or third experience wasn't a horrible one. So I take it as a compliment. Born in Dhaka, Bangladesh and living in Dublin since the age of 10, Adiba Jagadar is the award-winning, critically acclaimed and best-selling author of The Henna Wars, Hanan Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating and A Million to One. She's won and been nominated for several awards, too many to list at this point. Um, one that stands out big time for sure is that the Henna Wars um, was selected as one of uh, Time Magazine's best YA books of all time. Pretty awesome. Um, but she's here today, though, to talk about her new book, The Do's and Donuts of Love, which is described as a pun-filled YA contemporary romance uh, that finds a teenage girl competing in a televised baking competition with contestants, including her ex-girlfriend and a potential new crush. Um, perfect for fans of the Great British Bake Off, and she drives me crazy. Um, two things that kind of appear in this book, sort of in a weird way, in a, in a pun-filled way. Um, please welcome back to the show, Adiba Jagadar. Hi, Adiba. Hi, thank you so much for having me again. I'm super excited to be back on the show. Yeah, we were just saying it's been a couple of years since we spoke, and it's you know that's for a lot of different reasons. Most of it because I took a year off, and um, but I'm very happy that um, you were able to come back on because, as you know, I'm such a big fan of not only Adiba the storyteller, but Adiba the human. So um, it's always fun to get people back on and chat about what's happening. Um, Reading that bio, I did identify a spelling mistake on your website, just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I will, I will <laughs> go and correct it. <laughs> exactly. So in the long bio, it is it says the henna wears, W-A-R-E-R-W-A-R-E. I think I recently like changed that, like maybe like a couple of days ago or something. So okay. probably I messed it up during that time. Oh, it's fine. It's not the end of the world, of course. But it, but uh, I thought I'd point that out to you in case you're. Some people are uh, get very excited about these types of things and and like everything to, to be just right. Um, some people care, some people care less. So whichever side of the fence you're on, I just wanted to make uh, point that out to you. It is a beautiful website. Um, I do love it very much. Although you got rid of the. Um, What's missing? The blog stuff, right? Yes. I got rid of a couple of things recently just because it was looking a bit cluttered. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm thinking of what to add back in. Mm. You got the other category now under books and writing, which is great, which links to all your other uh, stuff that you write on the site as well. But yeah, no, mm -hmm. I, but other than that, um, it's just aesthetically, it's very nice to look at. It's very soothing. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the last time we spoke is a couple years ago. Obviously, nothing has happened in the world since. Um, uh, we were just saying, too, this last week, two weeks, has been particularly insane in, in in the book world, the world of books and publishing. And, God, it's almost like a, it's, I'm speaking with the Dahlia Adler later today as well. And, oh. uh, right, and it's just she's, she's so great, you know, and you are, too, helping uh, – authors new authors navigate these waters because it can be so insane right like i have to you know you've been in the game for a bit now but i'm not i don't think it's been too long that you probably remember what it was like you know the early days um yeah i think it, i think it wasn't it's, it wasn't it's, this insane though it wasn't, it wasn't yeah that's the that's the scary part because yeah. um i you know i signed with my agent i think like late 2018 early 2019 right um which was very, you know, soon before the pandemic. And I think 
just so much has changed in the past few years since I did sign with my agent and signed my first book deal mm. that I feel like if I went back out there now and you know I was like somebody with no books or whatever um I would find it really really difficult I think like much more difficult than I did back when I was querying my first book I think also too what's is what's of course disappointing is that like the the margins haven't changed very much for marginalized authors um mm -hmm. like it feels like it has I think you know but that's a combination of just like that's just how I've curated my timeline right mm -hmm. so I only follow <laughs> marginalized authors uh mostly so it but it, but you look at the numbers and there are of course there's always a breakthrough and and you know a handful that are doing okay but like overall the numbers still trend poorly for marginalized authors authors and that's with what I feels like a, a bit of effort right don't you think um I don't yeah I think I think there's been you know obviously like since we need diverse books back in like 2014 2015 yeah um we have seen more diversity but I think right now especially we're seeing a pushback against that so yep. I think we had like a few years where it was like diverse books everywhere um and it was seen as like very very trendy and I think now um we're moving away from the trend which is I mean it's awful that it was trendy to begin with but it's awful that it continues to be a trend um and that we're moving away from it now so I just, yeah I agree like I think there hasn't been much of a dent in terms of diversity I was just gonna say I love that's a great way to put it that I was thinking the same thing as soon as you said it that like it sucks that it, yeah it was it's a trend at all like right like because uh, I've always said like if you're not reading these stories you're the one who's fucking losing here because they're also like right there's no this idea that you're it'd be like uh going I don't know shopping for shoes and only allowing yourself to shop at you know three quarters of the room of the shoe selection right like you're you're just you're just missing out on some good shoes um and like I I don't read mostly marginalized stories because I'm compelled to do it I it's self-serving because they're also really good right like it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't put myself through the pain and misery of reading 240 bad books a year right so um yeah and I think you know they bring something to the table that yes absolutely. like hasn't been explored before so yeah like yeah yeah it's that's the the head shaking part of it for me that it mostly right is that I understand you know the origins and the root and and the sordid history of the pushback like where it comes from why it exists all these things but um once there is any type of you know once a little bit of sun sunlight breaks through historically you expect that to sort of like open the gates like the floodgates a bit but it just didn't happen and it's very frustrating and I can imagine even more so for you and and your fellow marginalized authors who are trying to like not just tell stories to increase representation but to also fucking earn a living right um yes yeah, it's definitely out tough out here for sure and speaking of earning a living i was just just reading this thing this uh this story engine ai that they're trying to put together that's now gonna so the hot top one of the hot topics lately is you know ai generated art right for book for in all art but book covers um i'm very much as a socialist i'm pro-labor so this i hate this idea obviously mm -hmm. And now there's this new thing, the story engine they're talking about, where it's going to create stories as well. So it's like, great, now we don't even need human authors anymore. <laughs> so it's 
it's like it's weird i don't know where you are in this i mean i know where i'm i know where you are on the on the the part i just said but just over like technology overall right because mm -hmm. it's it's always it always puts us in a bad position doesn't it because literally in one hand we have our iphone which is you know arguably one of the greatest invention technological inventions of all time um and on the other hand we're saying like let's keep ai out of certain avenues so it's complicated mm -hmm. it's complicated isn't it 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 is it's very very complicated um i think you know technology is obviously it's so so important because um it, it's allowed us to do so much more um in our lives, like in general, in the world. But as with everything, you know, it's like, it's about how we utilize it. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I think, you know, I think AI can be like a really useful tool, but it doesn't feel like we're utilizing it for the correct things, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, you know, like in a really base, you know, and this is just me, I'm, listen, I'm really dumb. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, understand even how the internet works. It, like, to me, it's just like, it's in space. Why is there interruption? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> so, um, so, but like, you know, technology, we're, we're talking because of technology. Like we would have never met and talked otherwise. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, likely not. Um, so I think, yeah, I like what you said there. So like, there's, there's, there's responsible use, like medical research, helping, helping, uh, the, helping people solve the, the world's social and economic problems, as long as it of course benefits, you know, humankind. But once it starts being used, you know, automation and things like this, when it starts to replace people, um, on in certain jobs that, it's hard, right? Because the arts are just a different category, aren't they? Like all together. They are. I think I on one hand, yes, obviously, like the arts, they need um, I guess that like a certain the human, yeah, human quality. Human touch. Yeah, yeah human yeah. touch. But at the same time, you know, I can't say that I'm also for like automating um other jobs because at the end of the day, like everybody needs to make a living. Well, um, not without yeah, not without financial um whatever the word is right like no no i like yeah, yeah i don't yeah. want i don't want i don't want a single human being to have to dig a ditch ever again unless they really want mm -hmm. to dig ditches um yeah. so i'm okay with robots doing that but those people have to be compensated for mm -hmm. sure hundred, like whether yeah. it's uni universal basic income or, or some type of standard we we agree on right abs mm -hmm. yeah no no i don't mean like yeah getting rid of uh people's living and also and also people's purpose Right. Yeah. yeah. Us, right. If they, if you, if you feel in your heart of hearts that your purpose, your, your, the reason for you to be on this planet is to dig ditches, then go for it for sure. Right. Whatever. When, whether they, whether, and then whether there's people making donuts, right. Uh, wonderful, tasty donuts or yes. whatever, whatever the case may be. Yeah. We all need a purpose. And so it's, it's just, I mean, the, I think kind of what I'm getting at is it's so complicated, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I think. I think it's it's tough because uh, this is like getting so deep into it, but I just feel like we've built a society that is no longer serving the needs of the people living in it. Right. Um, and I think, I guess that's also in a way the root of AI because what we're trying to do is like, we're like, okay, AI can do this, it can automate this, that, et cetera. Like that's great, but we also need people um, to live. And for people to live, they need to work to you know earn money and it's like well both those things 
currently can't really coexist. So this, like we have built the society and now we need to figure out how we can fix it. So it is serving people, um, but still allowing these like technological innovations. There's an interesting thing that I heard about where it's, it's, it's not, hasn't taken off and it's certainly not mainstream, but it's something where like famous, like, like a Hollywood actor, let's say like a, a pick a famous Hollywood actor. Um, they allow their face to be scanned. Okay. And then, mm -hmm. so then they can use their face in a movie. Um, mm -hmm. So they don't have to be on set. They don't have to act. So they will, they'll get compensated for use of their likeness, but they don't, they're not physically on set in the film, just their AI did, generated thing and i'm and so i'm think i thought about that the other day and i'm thinking okay let's say you are a huge famous author like billion dollar author mm -hmm. like well we just we had our machine write a book but we just want to put your name on the cover because people will want to buy it because they think you wrote it mm -hmm. so here's a little bit of coin just to use your name mm -hmm. but we had a machine write this book that's weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and, and the thing is, here's the scary part. And I think, I think it's about things all the time. If an idiot like me thought of it, so like, right. Some scary evil boardroom publishing boardroom has probably thought of it too. I mean, I guess, yes, in a way it is weird, but also it seems in a lot of ways, similar to what ghostwriting yeah. already does. So yeah. I guess, like, I, now that you, like, I've never thought of that. So clearly you're smarter than me. No, but, no, um, no, no. I just have more time. <laughs> I have more time on my hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I yeah. can, I can definitely see that happening maybe in an attempt to, like, replace ghostwriters. Yeah. Which, again, would be really sad because yeah. ghostwriters also deserve a pay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, this is all, it's not the thing of imagination anymore. Like, it's a real thing that's, that's happening now, right? Like, it's, I remember, during like the first Daniel Craig James Bond movies, they were saying something like there, there's going to be a renewed focus on character because real life technology has caught up with imagination technology. So like James Bond films, I guess, used to be more about the gadgets mm -hmm. and things like this and less character focused. But now the real life gadgets are just as impressive as anything we can think of. So there's this, so there's this switch lately to where like, in the 80s, we, you and I could have had this conversation about AI and it would have been just the stuff of pure fantasy, mm -hmm. right? But now it's like, it's hap it's happening. So it's it's like we have to, if you know, people are face, we're facing it, the consequences of, of good or bad AI in a real in a real way. So I don't know, man, it's not, it's not Terminator anymore. It's like a real thing and it scares me a little bit. So I don't know, we'll see. Um, it is, yeah. This is why we ha always have to be, you know, nice to all the robots because you never know when it could be Terminator. We're just bags of water. Like if 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 there's ever like <laughs> artificial general intelligence, they're gonna take one look at us and they're like, "Yeah, you guys are gone. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <done>. <laughs> Sorry, you had a good run, but you are useless." Yeah, you guys, you need you need rest. You need food. You like you guys are terrible. Yeah, poor design. Honestly, yeah, yeah, very, 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 very poor design. poorly designed. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Speaking of non AI stuff and just being human and having fun, I was at. Um, a wonderful Rick Roward and Marco Shira book launch event a couple weeks ago. And um, for the Sun and the Star, the new Rick Roward and Marco Shira book. And uh, wonderful event. The Percy Jackson crowds are always a good time. Just wonderful, nice folks just, you know, enjoying life. And uh, 
I, I, I went to this particular event by myself just because that's the way it worked out. Um, and I'm sitting next to someone and you just strike up a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And this person also went to the event by themselves. And it turns out that they are, uh, their parents anyways, were from Bangladesh. And, oh, wow. yeah, that's crazy. And I know. And so I'm, t I'm talking to this person uh, and um, having a great talk. And you, we're at a book event. You start talking about books and, um, oh, blah, blah, you know, da, 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 da. oh, yep. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Muslim and my parents are from Bangladesh. And I'm like, oh, you must know, you must know a Diva Jar guitar thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she hadn't. And, and I'm not bringing this up to make, you know, to make you feel bad, obviously, but uh, um, just only because, uh, this person's was like primarily a like a hard high fantasy sci-fi reader um mm -hmm. and anyway so i get my phone up and i'm like well you gotta you gotta introduce your parents to a diva juggernaut <laughs> so uh, we had a, so i like by the end of the conversation i you know i had i last time we'd spoke and we spoke after the event a little bit too was they were on their way to purchase like all of your books <laughs> <laughs> at the bookstore <laughs> and then to uh to bring home to their parents to show them um who apparently are just wonderfully uh nice sort of like um uh, just real modern sort of uh, you know bangladeshi muslims um and would would really appreciate sort of your type of storytelling for sure um so you've been in this for a bit now um i'm wondering sort of how you're feeling about um you know the Bangladeshi side of your writing and how it's coming along. And you have this really great sense of, of I love your stories because they're, they're of course wonderfully breezy and romantic and awesome. And I love that stuff, but you always find a way to sort of insert real life issues into them, of course, because that's who you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, it's like your characters always sort of, you put like this wonderful sort of cap on them. They're ha like, it's like, a, I call it a happiness cap <laughs> where you, <laughs> they can only get so far, gain so much success before someone reminds them of the color of their skin or their religion or the sound of their voice or the clothes they wear. Mm. Um, when you write these things, one thing I've realized recently is of course, I'm very aware of them, but I'm not always considerate of them, of the, pos mm. of the, of the position you're in when you, when you write these stories. What is that? Is that still hard for you to write these scenes when you when you have your characters sort of encounter, you know, bigotry? Um, yes, sometimes I think. I think the nice thing about writing my stories is that they are overall very kind of lighthearted and fluffy, and you kind of know at the end of the day there's going to be a happy ending because it is a romance. Right. Um. So. I think that's comforting to write as well. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, when you're a person of color, um, Muslim, queer, et cetera, um, it's, not, it's not just experiences that you've had in the past that you're sometimes digging into to write these books. It's also sometimes experiences that you're having like right now, mm -hmm. you know, maybe sometimes I'll write a scene because I had a racist experience yesterday or last week. Um, so in terms of that, it can be difficult. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of, I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, there's like, you know, who the femme, right. Who writes her wonderful graphic novels about a lot of just real life experiences, right. Things that have happened um, to her. And it's a funny position 
the reader is in because we're laughing at her, <laughs> right? But, you know, I've talked to Huda, and of course the idea is, is to laugh along with her. Like, she gives us permission to laugh with her. That's mm-hmm. that's the deal, right? When you, you know, that's the wonderful gift Huda has given the world is not only that that bit of, you know, sort of reprieve. Um, but, you know, in, in stories like yours and other writers, you know, that, that insert these sort of real world things into their, into their stories, it make, it's to, it's, I hope the goal is to make me a white reader feel to reflect on our own behavior and feel a little bit uncomfortable. I hope that's the goal. I think, yeah, I feel like it's not. It's not like my main goal. No, 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 no. Of course I think, not. Yeah, 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 I think. Yeah, there's a there's a goal there. I guess. Yeah. For white readers to reflect, but I think there's a goal for everybody to reflect, um, in a certain way. Yeah. 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 Because it's like I said, it's always because you you have these these characters that are just so wonderful and strong and great, and and it's it's almost like. Well, here it comes. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, they're doing well. Something's got to go wrong. <laughs> you, know, you know, and and um, it, so it's always just so like, um, it's sad that it's expected, isn't it? Uh, and uh, because, but then it's not fabricated, right? It's re- like you said, it's real life. And uh, mm-hmm. so you'd be, you'd be dishonest if you didn't talk about it. It's like, you know, we're talking to someone the other day about, if you wrote a contemporary story that took place in 2021, you have to mention the pandemic in some way. Now it can be as subtle as like, Oh, we're going out for dinner. Don't forget your masks. And that could be the only thing, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, if you're going to write in the world in which you exist um, and your world happens to include, you know, however, whatever the frequency is, but you know, the occasional bit of, uh, Islamophobia or homophobia or whatever. God, you got like you wouldn't be in good. You wouldn't be writing in good faith, would you, if you didn't sort of mention these things? Yeah, and I think I think when it comes to writing for kids and teens, um, I think it's important to set them up with like realistic expectations as yeah. well. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, I want I want kids of color to read my books and think wow, like I can have a happy ending and I can have a love story because they can. Yeah. Um, but also I don't necessarily want them to think I can have a happy ending and a love story and never face any racism or homophobia um, just because I know that's not the world that they're living in. Unfortunately, I, I wish it was the world they were living in, but it's just mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. And it's, and it's the lesson shouldn't be that you're going to face it. The lesson should be that you come out of it hopefully a stronger, better person, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I think one of the reasons why I do write it is because when I was a teenager, and this was like like over a decade ago, mm-hmm. um, and I was one of the only people of color in my school. I'm still one of the only people of color living in like my very white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have the language to talk about, you know, any racism that I faced or any of the Islamophobia I faced. And so I think what I hope that kids can kind of take away from my books is if they have an experience like that, they can see how the characters are dealing with it, or they can see that this is not an okay experience to have. Mm -hmm. And they have the language to kind of voice it to themselves, but also hopefully to other people and figure out how to deal with it. Right. Yeah, that's you're right. That's a great point. Being able to rec- recognize it sometimes because 
um, it's it's not always obvious, right? It's not mm-hmm. always people marching down the street, you know, waving, uh, chanting, just whatever bullshit, racist bullshit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you're right. It can be subtle. It can be very subtle, right? Like on a studio set and, you know, in do's and donuts and stuff, right? Like where it's, it's subtle, but if your ear's not attuned to it, it's might be easy to miss. Um, uh, so yeah, one of, we talked about sort of not, not chatting for a while and you had a book that came out during that time, uh, a million to one, um, which I loved and, uh, we're going to do a little bit of spoiler chat here, folks. So here's a warning. I'll, I'll post a warning when I post this, this audio, but just here's your warning. Um, first of all, I like how this, I, this book, as you, I read front and back matter. So mm-hmm. fair warning, if you're going to put something in the front of the story or the back of it, I'm reading it and I'm going to comment on it. Usually, um, you start this book with to everyone who lost a loved one during this pandemic and to all the loved ones we lost, of course, appropriate for sort of this book because of the mm-hmm. amount of lives that were lost, but also of course the pandemic, which I don't really feel like we've collectively mourned. Um, the almost, yeah, I agree. It's, it's like, isn't it? It's like almost 7 million people died from mm-hmm. that. Um, people are like, wow, more people die from not really like, there's there's some 50 to 60 million people die each year but for any like single one issue right that would be like mm-hmm. second or third highest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right for cause of death like that's a tremendous amount of loss of life and i don't think we've reconciled that it, yeah you said you don't think so either yeah i think i i remember during the pandemic like there were there were just times when my friends would be like oh my uncle passed away and then the next next week or two weeks later, they'd be like, "Oh yes, also my great uncle passed away," or something like that, you know. And it yeah. was it was just wild how often I heard about people dying. And yeah, I agree. I don't think we really like faced up to it. And I really, really fucking hated when people were like, "Well, not all of them were COVID deaths or whatever." I'm like, "Are you serious right now?" <laughs> like, we're 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 like we're we're like we're like you know, like splicing and parsing the deaths, the death count, like, ugh. anyway, sick. Um, so, uh, a million to one is, um, you know, of course for, for, uh, friends, you know, essentially, um, board the Titanic, hoping to change their lives with a bit of a heist. There's a famous jewel on board, which they're going to, uh, sorry, a jewel encrusted book that they want to steal. And this will of course, work out just fine um <laughs> except <laughs> except like i said the dramatic irony in this book is insane because we of course we know titanic is a famous thing and we know what's going to happen um when i i remember when i first started reading it almost instantly i start like running the numbers in my head and so when i reviewed this book one of the things that i did for my research was i like became like an expert on titanic numbers okay <laughs> so like basically all all with the goal of trying before i got to the end of the book my goal was to try and figure out what are the odds for women um you know two of color all low all all steerage basically right which means lower class um what's the percentage of that four would survive (laughs) right so even before i so even before i get to the end of the book I know that the math isn't great, <laughs> right? So this is this is the way I am, right? Um, 
And I'm here to tell you, spoiler warning, not all of them survive. Um, what, what ta- I wanted, I always wanted to ask you that specifically, if you knew how many, which ones, we'll, we'll save who, we won't worry about the who's, um, but did you know going into it that you were going to, that some of them weren't going to make it? Or did that come about during or what was the process there? Yeah, so this this book was like planned completely before I sat down to write it. So okay. I I knew I knew yeah. um, going in was going to die. And also, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm glad that you did the math before because you wouldn't believe the amount of people who got mad at me because a book about the Titanic led to people dying. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. They're like, what do you mean people died? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, it's a true story. Look it up. Yeah. 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 Um, I think, you know, for me, um, I guess the important thing was thinking about historical novels and historical media in general. One of the tropes that unfortunately we've seen a lot of is like bury your gaze in historical mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why we see a lot of historical media with like queer people, queer women specifically again. Um, and so I guess for me, it was important that if two people were going to die, it wasn't going to be the queer woman because that would be just so expected. Even if it wasn't, you know, following that barrier gaze trope, I, mm. at the end of the day, wanted them to get to have a happy ending. Mm. It's and one of the things I learned doing all this research was um, a lot, all, almost all of them. Any, it, you know, unless they were like overtly, overt, like really, really, really dark skinned. The crew just referred to any passengers that were not white as Italians. <laughs> did you know that? I actually didn't, or maybe yeah. I did. I have a very yeah. bad memory, so I. You, well, everything. you plus you probably did. You probably have so much Titanic stuff in your head. Um, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so that was a weird, that's a weird fact. Uh, it's just so, just like talk about like lazy um, racism. <laughs> it's like they can't even. That's, honestly, like, it's it's kind of funny because, yeah. um, sorry, this is completely like an aside, but yeah, yeah. my my cousin who is um, Bangladeshi with her very Bangladeshi family, um, and they're like, like a bit darker skinned than me overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went to Italy recently and they went to like Rome, Venice, um, a couple other places. And when they were there, they, everybody there assumed that they were Spanish mm. and they kept speaking to them in Spanish. And I just thought, I thought that was so interesting <laughs> because you. I think my cousin went in and was like, oh, we may experience like a bit of racism, but they all just kept speaking to them in Spanish. Um, so I think, you know, it still, it still happens, I guess, that people just assume that even darker skinned, like people of color are Italian or Spanish or Greek. Oh, it's, 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 yeah. And I guess, I mean, if, if, if you've never, this, I was talking to someone the other day about like how important uh, a lived experience is. And by lived experience, I mean, traveling the world, if you're lucky enough to be able to, and, and, and meeting other people, seeing, experiencing other cultures and things like that, because of course, you know, if if your only experience with the world is from just books or movies or TV, it's 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 problematic, right? Um, so it's it's it, a lot of times this is how and and of course if if you're you're at, if the only access you have to books, movies, TV is state controlled, 
or through a Western gaze, um, you're, you're, you stand no chance at all because you're, you're just being set up for failure, aren't you? Because you're being fed a certain line of usually BS about what, how people are, how they act, where they're from. So you have this sort of, you go into it with this preconceived idea of what um, folks are. Like I remember, I remember growing up and calling BS on this at a very young age, but like this idea that all brown people were, were Pakis, were from Pakistan, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember, being, I remember being young and being like, "What do you mean? <laughs> like that's the stupid. <laughs> like that's that's the stupid." I'm like, I'm like, I've seen a globe. So either either that globe is wrong, and Pakistan is the greatest, largest country, and that the, it is the entire Earth, right? <laughs> or or you are a racist. So yeah, it's uh, it's just one of these dumb things. So yeah, that was a funny thing I read about that, where they just sort of like, ah, they're just Italians. Uh, the Titanic, the crew, anybody that wasn't. Um, white but um one of the things too i wrote which i thought was important because um i so i go through all this this statistical stuff and then i say so now forget everything i just said um because i didn't i didn't want to reduce them to a statistic right because they are Mm -hmm. for for human beings of value and and who have something to say and have a voice and that was the great thing so i'm running all these numbers and i and i i'm convinced they're not all going to survive because math says so um and uh and yet i was still just i was fucking so sad at the end. <laughs> and uh and it was oh and they they were kind of like my two favorite characters too so Sorry. <laughs> yeah and um and and the the way you do it and, and the scene and, and it's and it's completely in line with with the titanic and everything else it's not like um you know they they uh it's not like these 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 characters die it it's 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 i'm trying to like use a word other than plain right like i but i mean it's just sort of like it's not plain but at the same time it's it's sort of again in line with 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 what was occurring uh, mm-hmm. at the at the moment but it's still so it was still so sad and uh, the point is you did even though there's there's this really strong predictability to this book, obviously, because it's a Titanic and we know what happened and we know how most of the people died. Mm-hmm. You did such a great job making us in a very short period of time, really, this book isn't that long, um, in a very short period of time, making us fall in love with these characters that even though I knew like the dread was building up in my stomach as the page as the page I'm running out of pages, right? Like you're getting to the end. And you're like, good. Well, I'm like, at one point I think, is this a series? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was still so fucking sad. So uh, that's really, uh, that's, that's what I really wanted to tell you. Adiba was just, just how well you wrote this book and how well the character was in this book because, and of course you have each chapter has that block, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, things are ticking away here and I'm like, and I knew what time they say it was like, whatever to whatever time in the morning, the ship actually sank. Right. I'm like, we're running out of time, girls. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, get a move on, but make it to a boat. Yeah. But um, yeah. So anyways, just well done. I loved it. I'm sorry. We didn't get a chance to talk when it came out, but uh, I was, I'm such a big fan of it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I will, I will say that I saved you and everyone else from a lot of pain because oh, my no. original draft was a lot sadder. Oh, no. <laughs> um, more people didn't die the deaths were just really really sad oh uh, okay, um, okay and when my editor got that draft 
she read it through and she was like, this is really sad. So let's make it like less sad. Um, and so I, I did, I did make it a little bit less sad okay. um, from the first draft. And I want to ask what, what was your statistic that you ended up with? Of uh, Good point. Let me see here. Da, 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 da. Where are we? Numbers, numbers, numbers. So, Oh, yeah. So, well, here's the one paragraph anyway. So, like, a fun side effect is almost immediately I started looking up the numbers and doing the math, trying to figure out the percentages, trying to figure out the odds. So, we know that roughly 37% of all pa passengers survived, 61% of them being first class. We know that of the 425 women on board, passengers and crew, roughly 316 survived. So, that's 74% of the women on total women on board survived. But, um, the lower in class you go, the less survivors there were, with only 24% of third-class passengers surviving total. So now you factor in the, the amount of women on board. So basically, they had, for four women of third third class, they had like a one in five, each only, they only had a one in five chance. Um, okay, and they were they were technically stowaways as well, which I guess makes right, them, right, makes right. even That's less true. likely that they were Even less likely, yeah. yeah. So it was like the math was not in there for all for and i mean like for all four of them forget mm -hmm. it like zero chance <laughs> zero chance all four was going to survive each one individually had a one in five chance and that's just for third class passengers so, so really the ending the way it worked out it was positive you know in comparison to what it could have been no no it was no no like i said it's it's the the moment you know when when the characters that you um oft <laughs> uh is is heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking but there's some resolve there with them um i mean you have to read it to know to understand this part but there is a bit of resolve there with them and and i will say that they are i guess about as at peace as you can be, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> facing what they were facing, what they were facing. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a fair way to put it. And and then of course the end end is um, for sure a, just a beautiful heartfelt moment of of uh, of peace. Because the one thing that you really really leaned into too, which I loved in this story, aside from the Titanic, of course, is is um, just their place in life. You know the fact for women, even just like stepping stepping foot on that ship, determined mm -hmm. to write their own story. At that mm -hmm. at that time period, you know, and these are women again, all varying backgrounds and, and diversities and stuff. That's an amazing story in itself. It really is for four women to to find each other like this, and and are all determined to write to be the narrator of their own story is such a strong message. Um, and it almost didn't matter how it ended. All four of them could have died. And the fact, just the moment they step foot on that ship, they have decided to change the course of their history. And that's, that's such an important part of this book too, which I loved very much, but um, pretty cool. Anyways, Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I, I really liked um, it. Yeah, for me, I honestly like. I feel like you got got out of that book exactly what I hoped reader would readers mm -hmm. would because um the tears yeah yeah the tears <laughs> <laughs> um, but no like I think I think again there's just there's so little historical um 
for women in general, I think, um, you know, where women are the narrators and they're like in control of their own story. Um, and a lot of times when we do see women in history, um, they're the ones who are like in the upper echelons of society, mm-hmm. which is understandable because they're obviously the ones who had the power to kind of tell their own story or have their stories told by somebody else. Um, but I think women like the four girls in the book, um, who like not all of them were even like working class, but they were um, marginalized in some way, cast out by society or their families in some way, mm-hmm. um, which would mean that if these women actually existed during that time, they would have never really had the chance to tell their story. So that was kind of what I really wanted to do with the story. Tell tell a story, tell a historical story that nobody would kind of expect to read. Nobody would open up a history book and be like, oh yeah, you know, Hosva, Emily, um, Violet, Henna, their story. That like that wouldn't happen, unfortunately. Right, right, right. Um we got to get to do the donuts here, but I really quickly want to just say awesome congratulations on the four Eids in a funeral with your good friend, uh, Frida Abike uh, Iamide. Um, Thank you. And very quickly, if you can, just sort of, we it's way too early to talk about the book. It doesn't come out till sometime in 2024, I think, right? But uh, mm-hmm. um, just what was it like? Because I know you and uh, um, if anyone follows either of you online, you, you know that you're both good friends. Um, mm-hmm. What was it like co-writing with Farida? Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and, I think, she, and apologize to her. I, I'm sure I just destroyed her name. But no, I think you got her name like exactly correct, actually. Oh, perfect. Oh, good. Yeah. So usually, usually I screw it up. All right, awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it was so much fun um, working with her and writing with her. I think I think it's like it's just nice to be able to write with someone at all because writing is often such a solitary task. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Frida and I the major issue that I feel like we have when we write together is that we like we get on a zoom call and we will plan together and write together um we spend like two hours talking about everything else (laughs) just like catching each other up talking nonsense whatever and then we were like yeah we actually we actually like have a deadline we need to work um so that's kind of like our biggest issue but yeah it, it was it's been so much fun working with her so the lesson here is don't ever write a book with your best friend. Um, no, no, I'm just, uh, but yeah, that's so funny. I would be the same way too. If I was doing anything with somebody that would just lose focus instantly and talk about, you know, I don't know, anime for three hours. Um, <laughs> but anyways, that's very cool. Great, great announcement. Congratulations. And um, um, I can't wait to learn more about that as, uh, as the next year goes through. Um so I read the really quick blurb early for Do's and Donuts of Love, but um, you must have this down pat. By now, what's the Do's and Donuts of Love about? Um, I actually don't have this down pat. Oh, okay. Because right. because I, um, I think this is one of the first, like I've been working on so many books. I feel yeah. that I have no idea what I'm talking about at any point in time. <laughs> um, but the Do's and Donuts of Love is basically about this Bangladeshi Irish girl called Sharin. Um, who is kind of dealing with the fallout um, of a breakup with her ex-girlfriend when she gets into this baking competition reality TV show called the Junior Irish Baking Show. But once she gets there, of course, her ex-girlfriend is a fellow competitor and so is a new girl that she's developing feelings for. Um, So things get a little bit messy um, and not just in the sense of baking. 
<laughs> Great way to put it. <laughs> Very messy. Um, uh, God, how many times do you think someone's going to not pronounce it Neve? Um, <laughs> I, like, I wonder. I wonder. It's a tricky. So, uh, so one of the characters in the book, one of the prominent characters, uh, Neve, but it's spelt uh, N I A M H, which is a traditional Irish name, but um it's pronounced neve so like a n e v e or n e a v however you want to spell it i guess yeah. you know phonetically but um beautiful name um but yeah i i i have to think that you're going to hear niame a lot or neum or i don't even know what to <laughs> you're going to hear that a lot i'm sure um one of the things I can't put that put it any better than this, so I'm just going to steal this. It's from a from a, the Kirkus review. It just says Shirin is easy to root for. She's a fat girl who's not trying to lose weight. She's aware of her anxiety and doesn't let it hold her back. And she's proud of being queer, brown, and Muslim. Yeah, I can't put it any better than that. And just is that just hits the nail on the head so well. Um, and it is nice and refreshing because um, a lot of these YA books, if the character was uh, especially uh, any character with uh, a mental illness or is overweight that mm -hmm. because of this gross society that we live in, we're, you know, we just make folks like that feel bad about themselves. Um, so it was, and I, I picked up on that reading this book that Shirin is like wonderfully, beautifully. She is, she, she is who she is. Mm -hmm. um, and are you conscious of that? Because that's in all your books. Your your characters don't never apologize for who they are. And I love that. Yeah, I think and I love that. Yeah. For me, it's it's important to write that in all my books, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, but especially in this one. And I think actually I struggled the most with writing that kind of an apologetic, um, proud character in this one. Um, I don't know if um, the copy that you read had the author's note in it because I it know it was no, it didn't. No, it doesn't. No, okay. I don't have. So, it, yeah. So my author's note kind of goes into it a little bit, but um, basically, when I wrote the first draft of this book, which was a long time ago now, it was I think right after I wrote Honey and Issue in like 2019 mm -hmm. um, or early 2020. That's when I wrote the first draft of this book, and one of the things that I really struggled with was imagining Sharon being a fat person um not constantly dealing with fat phobia from everywhere just because it's so like embedded into our society I think mm -hmm. um and I think it's one of those things that a lot of people even like very very progressive people um they can't challenge it or they don't know how to challenge it and they haven't kind of unlearned their own biases um, with fatness and with fatphobia. Um, so in that first draft, um, one of the things that happened was that Shirin's parents were constantly kind of reinforcing a lot of um, fatphobia onto her. Um, and as I was writing it, you know, like it was it was a very similar story to what it is now, but that was one of the things that I was just very, very, um, I was just like really struggling with that. Um, and then, you know, I sent it to my agent and he didn't like, that wasn't one of the things that he commented on, but he was like, you know, to make the story better, here's like some things you can do. And I was like, okay, great. Um, but at that point I was kind of thinking when I was a teenager, 
would it have actually helped me to read a book with a fat Bangladeshi character? And one of the challenges that she's facing is from her own support system um, who are, you know, supportive of her in other ways, but aren't supportive of the fact that she is fat. Um, and I found that the answer to that was no. And so obviously for myself or for my teenage self, I felt that I had to change the story and I had to change how her parents and just her support system in general um, was reacting to her being fat, which ended up being, you know, being protective of her and trying to protect her from fat phobia from outside sources. Um, so that was, you know, especially in this book, I really, really wanted Sharon to be unapologetic about who she was, but also for her support system to love her um, for who she is and not in spite of who she is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, encouraging her to be... Uh, like to follow her passions, her pursuits, right? It's just such, yes. it's always yes. so great because in so many, you know, it's an, it's sort of, it's more of a, it's more of a middle grade hallmark, but like the idea that you can't count on the parents or their, or the adults, they're, ab they're either absent or just shitty. Um, mm -hmm. I always love that. Uh, generally speaking in, in your books, anyways, the parents are usually on point, they're on board. And uh, mm -hmm. it's so nice because you, I read so many books where the parents aren't necessarily on board. And so it's always, it, it just seems like kind of a no brainer, but at the same time, that's just not, that's just not common. It just really isn't. Um, I was trying to, this book had a title switch, did it not? I was thinking it that. did. Yeah. It what did. was the original um, one? The original title was Donut Fall in Love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the puns are so, are, the puns are delicious in this book. Um, Donut Fall in Love. That's, um, uh, what was so I yeah, I remember I don't if you remember on Twitter, I posted my top five favorite chapter titles. Um uh Friend Foe or Something Smore, Crueler Intentions, I Tiramisu, I knew you were truffle when you walked in. That's a good one. And love is a <laughs> love is a batter batter field. That's a good one too. Yeah. <laughs> um I just I just picture a giant either sticky note board or a whiteboard, and you just write stuff as you think of it and just collect it as many as you could. Was that is that how did you do that with the titles? Um, not dissimilar. It wasn't like, it wasn't a physical like board or anything. It was, um, it was like a word document. And mm. whenever I thought of a, that's the, that's the digital pun. whiteboard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I still, I still have that list somewhere. Cause there were, um, quite a few that didn't get used up. Um, but it was, it was very handy to have that list. Yes. Was that fun? That must've been fun. It was so much fun. I feel like I spent more time coming up with the puns than actually writing the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's where, um, that's where probably where uh, Frida helped out too, I bet. Um, uh, what the baking side of it, of course, it's one of these books where you're just going to be hungry the whole time when you read it. Um, are, are you, I don't know if I, are you, do you bake? Are you, do you like to cook? Are you a baker? Like what, what's, because it, there is, there is, you do sort of do, there's a bit of a, uh, a technical aspect to this book where you don't, it's not, it's not technical heavy. Like it's not baking heavy um, mm -hmm. in this, in that sense, but you, you do get into it, of course, into the the craft and the art and the trade of, of baking um, because it is, I, I, to me, it's very complicated, but um, are, are you inclined to do that? Um, 
Yes and no. Like I wouldn't call myself a baker, but I do. I know how to bake and I do bake sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I think that people in general very much enjoy the things that I end up baking. So it's like I don't often bake, but um, my my family, for example, they love my chocolate cake and they love my lemon cookies. Mm. So whenever I bake those, it's like they're gone immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do. I do enjoy baking and I really love watching baking shows and cooking shows in general. So mm-hmm. that's also where a lot of that came from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, it's very, uh, I've read books where, you know, the theme is whether you know baking or cooking or cooking shows or just or or the the setting is a kitchen you know at, at a restaurant or something and and they get really technical and it it that's a tough tough choice to make because it can it can take a reader out of the story sometimes right um it becomes a manual <laughs> more than more than a story doesn't it um it, so that's what i i liked about this book too is that you know you we never lose sight of 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 the reason why we're there, you know, because of the character work, um, which, which I thought was always great. But at the same time, you do, you do reinforce that um, there are, uh, you know, especially on Shirin's side of there's, there's lives at stake because this is the family business and also, and, and, and the business part of the baking show, right. The competition, of course, you always remind us that, 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 you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, Um, Mm -hmm all these all the contestants are have their own reasons why they're there of course but for some of them it's they need to win mm-hmm. right like it's important to their to themselves to their family isn't it so i really like that you stress that issue um i think my favorite character is fatma yeah she's she was a really fun character but right so Fatma is just is just one of Shrin's or not one of Shrin's friend. <laughs> I was gonna say like <laughs> of, of all her many friends, but she has Fatma. Um and 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 not this isn't like a you know, woe is me, you know, Shirin is I feel like um Shirin could have as many friends as she wants. Mm-hmm. I get that sense, but I think you know, I know she's she's you know there's there's definitely she a little maybe the odd bit of of insecurity for sure. Some of that stemming from you know her her uh, her mental sort of illnesses, but um, I think that Fatma is like the perfect. I feel like they're just perfect for each other. They balance mm-hmm. each other out so well. Is that do you have somebody like that? Do you have a Fatma in your life who sort of is just really great at sort of like calling you on? You know, if you ever do, you, I don't know, do you tend to sort of like go on like a bullshit rant or anything? Like, do you have a friend that, that that is good at checks and balances? I feel like, and this, uh, my friends might, you know, call me out on this, but I feel like I'm usually the Fatima in the friendship <laughs> um, because I am usually the person who will call someone out and be like, hey, um, and I'm kind of, I'm like a very blunt person. Mm-hmm. So I think if somebody comes to me for like for advice or to ask me for something, I will just I will just tell them what I think and I won't necessarily try to like sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, you know, sometimes that is necessary in a friendship. And I, I do think like I don't necessarily want to be that person, but I am that person. Right. So yeah, I would say I am the Fatima. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. And I so I just gave you a great compliment because I just said Fatima's my favorite character. <laughs> um do's and donuts of love comes out uh this will air that the week of release but in case it does come out early june 6th it comes out 
MadibaJurgader.com. You're on all of the socials, I think, still. You're one of the brave souls who still sticks it out on Twitter. Um, but primarily on Instagram, I think, right? Is that where you... Yeah, Instagram mostly. It's such a better visual thing anyways, isn't it? Um, so if you want to find out more about you, you can go to those places. Um, and you'll be doing, I'm sure, some other... Uh, more promotion for this book and look out for uh for aids in a funeral sometime next year which is it's a, such a great title um i can't I wait yeah that's gonna be amazing um adiba thank you so much for coming on the show um best of luck with this release i uh i really enjoyed this book uh like you're four for four for me anyways um you know i'm a fan of all your books um they're just so much fun and and I just I always look forward to reading them. So thanks for coming back on and talking about it.